welcome everybody to Cornerstone Community Church. We're glad that you're here. As you find your seats, stand up with us and begin to worship our King. We belong to the kingdom of God, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amen. God, we want to be part of living out your kingdom here on this earth, God, as we choose moment by moment how we will live. God, may you be on our minds. May glorifying you and your son, Jesus Christ, be on our hearts and our minds all the time. Like it says in the Old Testament, in the law, that we would be talking about you, talking about scripture when, we come, when we're in and when we go out, when we're sitting at the table, when we're talking to our children, when we're talking to our neighbors, that this is what we would be all about, God, is your kingdom on earth. And that we are a part of that kingdom. God, give us your spirit to live in a powerful way and to bring the gospel to everyone around us, leading them to devoted relationships with Jesus. We need you. We need you. We need you. You can do impossible things. In Jesus' name, and in the power of that name, I pray. Amen. You can have a seat. Well, I am excited to be up here this morning. Excited to be kicking off a new series with you guys. Today and for the next four weeks, we're going to be going through the first uh, six chapters of Daniel. And we titled this series, The Better Kingdom. And the question that we're thinking about is, what does it look like for us to live lives for God's kingdom. Lives for God's kingdom instead of the kingdoms of this world. And how do we stay faithful to God and what he's called us to do, faithful in all the choices of our lives in a world that is constantly pushing us towards unfaithfulness? Turn your Bibles to Daniel chapter 1. God, as we sing, open our eyes to the things that are unseen. God, your word is truth. And Lord, right now you want that truth to speak to our hearts, to move us, to convict us, and to give us hope, God. Teach us through your word. In your name we pray, amen. Daniel chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord delivered Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand, along with some of the articles from the temple of God. These he carried off to the temple of his God in Babylonia and put in the treasure house of his God. And then the king ordered Ashpenaz, chief of his court officials, to bring in some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, and qualified to serve in the king's palace. He was to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. And the king assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. Among these were some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah. Stop right there for a second. I want us 
to feel the sense of, of tragedy and loss that is going on in these verses. See, God he had rescued the Israelites from Egypt and brought them into a new land in a, in a great and mighty way. Okay? And as time went by and, and they established uh, even a king in, in Jerusalem and a temple was built, and these were glory days for Israel. And people had a temple to go to to worship God, and God was with them. But what happened? Israel began to turn away from God. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want you to see a couple things. This king of Babylon comes and captures uh, Jerusalem, besieges it, and takes all these people captives. But notice something. The Lord delivered them into the hands of Babylon. This was God's hand at work. God was doing this. And so he takes, he carries off the king, the royal family, the nobility. We see from 2 Kings that this was about 10,000 people. Okay? 10,000 people, and not just any 10,000 people. The cream of the crop. This was the king. This was the nobles. These were people that were wise, intelligent. And the king of Babylon says, I'm not going to leave all these people here and risk an uprising, risk leaving the people that could kind of reorganize and, and, and raise some kind of an uprising against Babylon. I'm going to take the cream of the crop, the very best. I'm going to take them away, and they're going to be my servants. I'm going to have them in my, in my uh, palace, bringing me food and drinks and advising me, all these things. Now, Jerusalem to Babylon... Is, is uh, Babylon is where present-day Baghdad is, roughly, is about 900 miles. Okay, I want you to imagine yourself. You have been put into bondage and chains, and you have to walk 900 miles as a slave, not knowing what the future holds. Okay, I think it's impressive that people can ride a bike across Iowa, right? But walking from Jerusalem to Babylon is like walking from Des Moines to Atlanta, Okay. That's a long ways. It probably took uh, several months to do. And what kind of thoughts do you think were going on in, in Daniel's head as this is happening? I think it was, if it was me, I would have been saying, God, why is this happening? What are you doing? This foreign king has come, and he has captured the king of Israel. He has embarrassed our nation and taken the, the best of our people, and now we're, we're going to captivity. And he did not know. Daniel didn't know what was ahead. He didn't know what was going to happen. I can definitely tell you, this was not Daniel's plan A for his life, okay? This was not what he was, this was not what he was looking forward to as he was growing up. He didn't have dreams of of becoming a prisoner under a foreign king, okay? But this was God's plan, all right? This was God's plan for Daniel. But I can imagine if I was Daniel, I think I would have, had some bitterness rising in my heart. Bitterness against God to say, God, why are you doing this? Why are you allowing this to happen to me? So how would Daniel react to this? Looking again at at verse 6, talking about, well, actually, actually verse 4, again, listen to what kind of men these were. Young men without any physical defect, handsome, Aptitude for learning, well-informed, quick to understand. Again, the best of the best. All right, this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to teach them the language and literature of the Babylonians. The language and literature of the Babylonians. What was that? Well, 
Uh, I'm not too, too proud to admit that I, I got this little tidbit from Beth Moore. I don't know if a guy is supposed to admit that he might read a Beth Moore study sometime. But Isaiah 47, and Beth Moore calls this the Babylonian motto. But, 40, but Isaiah 47 is talking about, it's a judgment against Babylon, okay? And this is, this is what, what he wrote in, in, in Isaiah 47, 8. Isaiah said, Now listen, you wanton creature, lounging in your security and saying to yourself, I am, and there is none besides me. I will never be a widow or suffer the loss of children. And then verse, verse 10. You have trusted in your wickedness and have said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and knowledge mislead you when you say to yourself, I am, and there is none beside me. Hear those words. This, is what, this was the spirit of Babylon. I am, and there is none beside me. This is a statement of pride. A statement of, you know what? I'm the final authority. I can decide what's right for me. I am, and there is none beside me. Okay? This is the spirit of Babylon. This is the spirit that, that Nebuchadnezzar wanted these captives and these exiles to embrace. See, he was not just wanting them to become servants of Babylon. He wanted them to become Babylonians, to be assimilated into Babylonian culture. And you can see this in verse 7. Verse 7 says, The chief official gave them new names. To Daniel, the name Belteshazzar. To Hananiah, Shadrach. To Mishael, Meshach and to Azariah, Abednego. Now look at this. You look up the meanings of these names. Daniel, his, his name meant, God is my judge. He was renamed Belteshazzar, which means Bel, protect his life. Bel was one of their foreign gods. Hananiah, Yahweh has taken pity. Renamed to Shadrach, command of Aku. To Mishael, who is what God is? Meshach, who is what Aku is? Azariah, Yahweh has helped. God has helped me, was renamed to Abednego, served Amnibo. Now, in the Middle Eastern culture, a name was incredibly important. Your name spoke something about you. And by renaming these guys, Nebuchadnezzar saying, you know what, this is what you were, but this is what you are now. This is your new identity. He wanted them to leave behind an old identity and embrace the identity of, of Babylon. It says, I am. And there's none beside me. You know, the world's ways will... The world wants to simulate us if we're not careful. It wants to say, your identity is not as a child of God. Your identity is not that you belong to Jesus. Your identity is here and now. And we could lose sight of that. But I want you to look at what, what happens with, Bab, with Daniel... And his friends. Verse 8. Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Daniel said, you know what? You can change my name, but you don't change who I am. He resolved himself. And it's interesting, you look at these, Israel had all these, these food laws that God had given them. And the, there's, there's a lot of them, all right? 
anywhere, anything from, you know, not, not cooking something in, in a, a pan that had, had been used for something else. I mean, we don't know. Not eating pork is an obvious one or camels or whatever it might be. There was a lot of things that God said, you know what, I want you to eat this and not that. Now, the purpose of these laws, we have to remember, the purpose of these laws was that God was reminding his people, you are a covenant people. You belong to me. They were a way to remind Israel that they were different from all the other nations, that their God was the one true God. And as they kept these laws and, and, and did these things, it, it reminded them, ongoing, we belong to God. We belong to God. And so for Daniel, you know, he might have been tempted to say, this is just a little thing. I'll eat the food. I'll, I'll drink the wine. I'll, I'll take part of, of this. But in my heart, I know God's a true God. But Daniel said, no. God gave us these, these laws to remind us we belong to him, to remind us that we are a covenant people. And even though I am far from home, far from, from what, everything I've grown up with, far from everything that's familiar, I'm going to stay faithful to God. He resolved. He made up his mind. Now, a couple just quick points is that <clears throat> this isn't so much saying that uh, that nice food or wine are, are wrong in and of themselves. In fact, you see later in the book of Daniel, if, you, if, you, if you're curious to look later, in Daniel 10.3, it says he fasted for three weeks from the king's food and from wine. So that is the, and this was under, under Persia. So this get, that at least gives the implication that at some point later in his life, there was some, some royal food and wine that had not been tainted in the way that this food was. Maybe this food had been offered to idols. You know, we don't, we don't know. But Daniel knew to eat this food was to be defiled. Um, And Daniel, man, he made up his mind. What is he doing here? He is making a statement of faith. Daniel's saying, you know what? Look at all this stuff in front of me. This looks awesome. I mean, it it probably was the kind of food that would make your mouth water. I mean, we're talking the best of the best, the delicacies. I'm sure it was tempting for him to just... He was probably hungry after all this, this long trip just to say, you know, I'm just going to have a little bit. I deserve it. I've, I've had a really tough couple months. No. Daniel said, I'm not going to do it. So this was a step of faith. And what is he saying in this? He's saying there is a kingdom that is better. There's a kingdom that is better than the kingdom I'm in right now. And he took a step of faith and a step of risk. Say, I don't know what's going to happen to me if I don't eat this food, but I'm going to take a stand. You know, as we look at our own hearts, is there something that we allow into our lives that's defiling us? It could be a spirit of unforgiveness. In Hebrews it says that, take care lest you let a bitter root come up in your heart. Bitter root of unforgiveness and that would defile many people. It could be greed, just seeing the pleasures and, and the things around us and saying, I want that. I want to live for that. It could be some sexual sin. God talks about how that defiles us. And as Christians, we belong to a better kingdom. And God wants us to resolve in our hearts to say, you know what? I'm going to choose. Joshua said, choose this day who you will serve. God wants us to resolve in our hearts that we're going to follow him. And what are the results of that 
that obedience. Look at verse 9. This is cool. God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel. God was working. Even though Daniel was in this terrible situation, God had not abandoned him. Even though God had these purposes for the nation of Israel, hard things, teaching them that that he alone was the one that deserved their praise and their love and their loyalty. God was still there. God was still with Daniel. Verse 9, God had caused the official to show favor and sympathy to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I'm afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would have my head because of you. Daniel said to the guard whom the chief officials had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, Please test your servants for ten days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for ten days. Listen to this, verse 15. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. God blessed their obedience. At the end of the ten days, they looked healthier and better nourished than anyone else. Now, I think there's something... The NIV misses a little something in this translation that I, that I like, and that is, if, if you look in a more literal translation like the ESV, it says, they were healthier and fatter of flesh. Okay? So, I, I consider this to be one of the overlooked miracles of the Bible, that these guys, eating vegetables and drinking water, actually became fatter in flesh, and, and in, in those, those days, that was kind of a sign of health, so it was a good thing. I don't know if all the... All the uh, authors of the Daniel Diet books realize that, but um, God did something amazing, okay? So, you know, me eating vegetables, drinking water, that seems like a hard thing to do, okay? But every day, it wasn't just a one-time decision. Every time Daniel sat down to a meal, he said, I'm going to eat these vegetables and drink this water to God's glory, okay? And God used it and blessed it. Now, God's blessing doesn't always come in the way we expect. I mean, this is, this is awesome that God did a miracle here. Sometimes following God is going to bring hardship. Sometimes it could bring ridicule. Sometimes the proof doesn't always happen right at that moment. Sometimes it might take years for us to see God had a purpose in this situation. But I can tell you this. God wants to use people that are faithful. God wants to use people for his kingdom and his glory, people that have decided in their hearts, like Daniel, resolved, I'm going to be used for God that there is a better kingdom than the kingdom of this world. Look at 17. To these four young men, again, God continues to just pile on the blessing. God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. Verse 20. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. Wow, isn't that amazing? God had a purpose and a plan, and in the middle of this terrible situation, he says, I'm going to use you for to do some great things for me. Now, what keeps us from the same kind of faith? I kind of spent some time thinking about this. Now, there's some here who may not have trusted in God, and And one of the roadblocks, I think, that keeps people from Christianity is is this, this thought, that if I follow God, 
If I say I'm going to listen and obey his word, but that's going to be a very confining experience. It's going to feel very narrow and restrictive, and I'm going to lose who I am as a person. That I will no longer be free to be who I am if I choose to follow God. And you know, in our culture today, freedom is sacred, isn't it? I mean, we hold, that, we hold individuality and the, determin- and, and the ability to determine who we are. We say, man, that is the highest thing to strive for. And we're not that much different from, from Babylon, from that Babylonian motto. I am, and there is none like me. That's what culture tells us. Decide for yourself what is right for you. But think about this. Is, is freedom... Is real freedom really the absence of limitations? You know, you, you saw in that video, that was a great video that, that Nick picked out. The kid's saying, should I play video games or should I practice the piano? Now, practicing the piano, I, I, I did this for a number of years growing up, is, is not always feel very fun, okay? It is a real, let me tell you, it's a real limit to your freedoms. But there's a limitation a temporary limitation to freedom that brings in a lasting freedom. Because you know what? The kid that, that decides to play video games every day is not free to sit down and play a song on the piano. And so we do this all the time. We put limitations on ourselves, on one part of our freedom, so that we can experience a greater freedom. Or take the example of love. Tim Keller says, all genuine love involves a loss of freedom. All genuine love involves a loss of freedom. So, if I'm going to be a, a good father, if I'm going to raise my kids, if I, if I really want to experience freedom in that and, and fulfillment in that, I'm going to have to put some limitations on myself. I'm going to have to say, you know what, it might be a few years before I get eight straight hours of sleep. All right? There's a, a limitation that comes with freedom. Or think of your relationship with your spouse, okay? There's kind of a trading where, where you, there's a trade-off between this sense of independence and the intimacy of love that, that, you, that you have as a husband and wife. And uh, kind of a humorous example of this, I, I remember when, when Laura and I first got married, uh, just the different things that go on when you're adjusting to each other and, and learning how to live with each other. For us, one of the, one of the weird things was, was a toaster, okay? I don't know what your guys' background was growing up, but when we grew up, the toaster lived on the counter. The toaster did not live in a cupboard, and, and so there was a little bit of like, you know, this wasn't like a terrible disagreement, but where does the toaster go? It goes on the counter. No, it goes under the cupboard. And we said, well, let's talk to 10 of our friends and ask them. And six of those people kept their toaster in the cupboard, all right? <laughs> Show of hands, who keeps their toaster on the cupboard? In the cupboard. Who keeps it on the counter? Oh, we asked the wrong 10 people, but <laughs> I, I, do, I, do, I do agree. It is... I, I, kind of, I kind of like it now. It kind of keeps the crumbs off of the counter. But anyways, <laughs> we, we, in little ways and big ways, we kind of discover that if we want to have real love and companionship, that there's things that we've got to give up. And you, you could say, yeah, but freedom is, the, freedom is the ultimate thing. But you know what? If I'm going to hold on to that freedom, I'm not going to experience another kind of freedom, which is the freedom to experience love and to be in a relationship of love. That's how it is with God, too. Okay? You don't come to God and say, everything's on my terms. I don't care what your word says. I'm going to do it my way. We don't come to him that way. You know, I, I want to 
to look at a passage in, in Jeremiah. Because God's relationship to us is not so different than that. I read a couple verses from Jeremiah 2. I mean, Jeremiah, he lived at the same time as Daniel. In fact, Daniel probably knew Jeremiah. Uh, you know, Daniel was young. He was probably he was about 15 years old at the time of the captivity. So maybe he had just heard him in the king's court or somewhere else. But Daniel lived at the same time as Jeremiah. And listen to these words that Jeremiah brought uh, to Israel, warning them, warning them to turn from the way they were living. Jeremiah 2, verse 2. This is the word of the Lord. He says, Go and proclaim in the hearing of Jerusalem, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. God says, man, I remember when I brought you out of Egypt, you were like a bride to me. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest. All who, do, who devoured her were held guilty, and disaster overtook them. And God says in verse 5, this is what the Lord said, What fault did your fathers find in me, that they strayed so far from me? They followed worthless idols and became worthless themselves. They did not ask, where is the Lord who brought us out of Egypt and led us through the wilderness? Verse 7, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. And go down to verse 12. It says, Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. God's saying, the reason that this judgment is going to come on you, Jerusalem, the reason this judgment is going to come on you, Israel, is because of two things, really. Boil it down to two things. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns. Now, in this time, there were kind of three ways people could get water. They could find a fresh spring coming out of the ground, clean, clear water. That was, that was the absolute best. If you could find spring water, you were set. Another way was to dig a well that went down into the ground, and, and you draw it up, drew up the water from the well, and you became refreshed by it. A third way was to build a cistern. And what a cistern was is you, you carved out a section in the rock or somewhere, and you... Maybe you applied some tar in there to waterproof it so that when rain came, the rain just filled up the cistern. It's just a way to capture rainwater, okay? Now, really, that was the worst of the three options. If you had to drink water from a cistern, it probably didn't taste very good. It was maybe a little stale, uh, had, had some sediment in it. But God, God's saying, you know what? You had a spring. You've forsaken me, really, the spring of living water and dug your own cistern. Not a, not only have you, have you dug your own cisterns, but they're cisterns that don't hold water. And you know what happens with a cistern that doesn't hold water? The water leaks out, out of it, and the sediment settles at the bottom, and all you're left with is a little bit of sludge, some mud at the bottom. And he's saying, Israel, you had me. You had the one true God. But Israel, Israel, had the same thought that Babylon did. They said, we want to do our own thing. We want to go our own way. And so we're going to dig our own, we're going to dig our own sources of water. 
But God's saying, you know what? Those are not going to satisfy you. And when we decide that we're going to be the ones who decide what's right for us, we suffer for it. Because God has given us a greater kingdom. And if we really believe that and live it out, we're going to experience something so much better than the freedom we think we want to live for when we're following our own way. Now, one more thing about this. So, if people say, you know, yeah, okay, I, I can grant you that love is a, is a situation where you, you, you lose some freedoms to gain the freedom to love. But is that really true of God? I mean, if God is God, it's not like you can come to him and say, God, you're wrong about this. You need to change this. What God says is what's right, right? So isn't that a one-way relationship? Isn't that a relationship that only goes one way? And, and we might be tempted to think that, but here's the thing. It's not a one-sided relationship because God sent his son. See, God said, I am going to go to this people and I'm going to send my only son. And he is going to, to leave behind the glories of heaven and go to a place where he is going to be punished their sins. Their sins are put on him. And so Jesus says, though he, was, though he was God's own son, he humbled himself. That's the relationship God's calling us into. Into a relationship where Jesus gave himself up for us. He did not stay where he was and say, you have to come to me. He came to us. You know, we're really faced this morning with a choice between two different tables. There's the table of of Babylon, the table of this world that says, do your own thing, be your own boss, live for pleasures, live for all this stuff that's here now. And there's this table. There's this table that points us to Jesus. You know, Jesus was the king who became a servant in a foreign land. Willingly. Jesus faced a greater temptation than Daniel. It was a continual temptation throughout his life, and it says he never sinned. He never gave in. After he had been in the wilderness for 40 days and Satan said, eat this bread, Jesus said no. You know, Daniel went on, he sinned. We all, we all fail at times to obey God perfectly. But Jesus, he obeyed to the end. And Jesus died so that we can come to a better feast. That's really what we're about today. And so the call for us is to say, you know what? If I have a king like that, a king who gave up his royalty and came to serve me by dying on the cross, how can we not respond to that? How can we not say, God, in my heart, I want to resolve to live for your kingdom. I want to resolve to live for something better than what I see right here. And we're going to take this bread and this cup. And as we do it, we're remembering that Jesus came and paid the price that we could never do. You know, I don't want you to come, come away from this saying, 
that the answer to life is to, to have stronger willpower, to make another decision. Yes, God does want you to make a decision that you're going to obey. He loves and he rewards the faith, obedient faith, like Daniel had. But the first thing he wants us to do is just to love him. And as we love him and see what he did, and that's, that's what's going to change us. And we're going to respond to him as someone that is saying, God, we love you, and we love what you've done for us. Let's give thanks. Father, we thank you for the bread and the cup that points us to the better feast, that points us to a feast not of our making, God, not of our efforts, but a feast that has been won on our behalf, a feast secured by Jesus, the King of all kings, greater than the kingdoms, any of the kingdoms of this earth, coming and humbling himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, living obediently with perfect resolve, rescuing us from our sin and brokenness, God. God, work on our hearts this morning. Call us back to you. Lord, maybe you you need to put a fresh resolve in someone's heart this morning, a fresh encouragement that as we're faithful to you, you will prove faithful to us and that you want to use us to do great things, God, great things for your kingdom. But now we take this bread and this cup. We thank you for Jesus' death. It's in his name we pray.